Hey, old-timey crimey listeners. Before we get started, we just wanted to remind you about our giveaway. We have stickers. As long as you've got a creepy stranger. Don't we all really have creepy strangers in our past? Too many. Too Absolutely. many. Absolutely. If you have a creepy stranger story, send it to us at oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. You might get your story told on the air. You can tell us if you want your name mentioned or not. And you'll be entered into a drawing for one of 10 old-timey crimey limited edition logo stickers. Go find our social media for a picture of good old Slothy, our uh, our podcast watching, listening friend. <laughs> and, and he has the stickers. In, up against his adorable belly. So thanks for listening and send in your stories. Make it creepy and sexy. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I'm going to get so many interesting emails. <laughs> okay. As William Desmond Taylor himself once said, the only things we really keep are the things we give away. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey! I'm Scout. I'm Krusty. Krusty. <laughs> oh, I had, I had a, a friend who used to call me Krusty, and that's probably my least favorite of all the nicknames, including <sighs> Christy Bastard, that I've Ooh. had over my life. And that one was Playground Days. So in this my adult years, I was like, do you have to call me Krusty? That's kind of gross, and I don't like it. <laughs> Scotty Potty. Oh, there you have it. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Kids suck. Bastards. So how you doing this week? Not bad at all. Do we sound different? I think we, we do sound, sound different. It's, sound a little different. It's like we're in the same room with us. It's yes. <laughs> it's oh my god. We uh, we splurged. We got ourselves a new microphone and we've been testing it out. So there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve here as we get everything done. But just listening, we uh, we listened to a few things uh, before we uh, recorded the show. Just little farting around things, mm -hmm. and it's it's happy. It's it, happy it, it time. It's very happy time. Yeah, yes. yeah. I can't wait to like listen to this on the on the speaker, like Jackson and I do. Every we put it on the Bluetooth speaker, and we sit there and we do our thing, like play a game, or I do cross stitch, or you know whatever. And uh, and I take my notes for the the episode upload, and I can't wait to do that this week. Oh, this is <laughs> this is gonna be so <laughs> awesome. We were recording on a Fifon. Mm -hmm. uh, we did an amazing upgrade. We are on the podcaster's microphone, the Blue Yeti. Blue Yeti. Very exciting. Oh, yes. it's this is a very exciting week. So nice. It's big and black and thick and... Stop. <laughs> I don't want to feel weird about the microphone. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing with the balls right now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. So yeah, this has been all in all a very exciting week. We did our very first interview last Friday. Yes, Not to make everything all about did. us, but I mean, it's our podcast, so I guess it's all about us. Sit down <laughs> and, and listen to us. And murder victims. Enough talk about us. Let's sing about us. Yes, let's sing about <laughs> us. We had an interview. Oh, big thank you going out to Johnny Eponymous. I'm assuming that's not his actual name. Just, so. uh, it seems like an interesting... Uh, he did sign off his emails with a name, but I don't know if I can use that or not, or if he goes by, because he also followed us on Twitter, and I'm pretty sure on there he goes by Johnny Eponymous as well. Yes. So Johnny Eponymous, he does an online magazine claims department and the drink tank. Uh, you can find it. It's, it's actually pretty well written. 
You say um, that like so surprised. If I were him, I'd be offended. No, okay. This is not not towards you, Johnny. This is towards us because we're sitting here going like, oh, anybody that wants to interview me is going to be an amateur. I'm sitting there like reading this, going like, I'm like reading through the old copies. Like, this is pretty damn good. Yeah, and it's very um very visually appealing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's very it's very well designed. The the you know, like design of the web page and everything. So yeah, yeah, it was very exciting to look at that. And like, oh no, this is legit. Yeah, you can find it at claimsdepartment.weebly.com. Com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's all in PDF format. It's not a tiny magazine. We're talking 44 pages on a PDF. Yeah, he puts an extensive amount of, of information out there. And we're going to be part of that information uh, probably around mid-December. You'll definitely know if you follow us on our social networks on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and uh, a week or two after it happens on Reddit. Absolutely. <laughs> because I've been really slow and I still need to upload last week's stuff on Reddit. I just keep forgetting. And it doesn't have any option for automatically uploading stuff. Like I save something as a draft, I lose, like if I've saved a picture and text, I lose the picture. So I have to just have to do it again anyhow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, that's been a pain. The studio smells so nice. Does it smell like a, a, thir- a mid-30s mountain man? It No. no Because <laughs> that's who's been staying here the past several days. It <laughs> smells like a mid-1930s bar. Mm. Uh, I love the smell of oranges. Yes, I am drinking an orange blossom, which will show up in this week's murder. And we'd also like to thank Johnny Eponymous for his suggestion, because we are doing... William Desmond Taylor this week, and uh, that is his suggestion. He seemed very interested in it, so we thought we should see, you know, um, what we could do with it. And it turns out that there's a lot of information about this one. I Holy got sucked smokes! In. I was, I had been, I was ten hours into the research before I found out that uh, the murder victim's butler got kidnapped by Hearst reporters for, for them trying to get information. Like, when you find out a huge detail like that 10 hours in, like yeah. all the other articles I had, and this was just, like, mentioned offhand. I was like, what? Huh? What? How did I not know this? But don't worry. Karma gets Hearst later on. <laughs> so, yes, this week is William Desmond Taylor. He was born William Cunningham Dean Tanner. On April 26, 1872, on County Carlow, Ireland. Oh, snooty. Yes, he was actually uh, born into the Anglo-Irish gentry class, which I had to look up. And I found it fun that, uh, I mean, there's been a lot of strife in in Ireland in general, so I don't want to seem like I'm making fun of anything. I just thought this, I love love sarcasm and everything. Um, Working class playwright Brendan began... um, called them Ireland's leisure class and said they were a Protestant with a horse. Oh, I just picture a bunch of people walking around with tiny little potatoes and martini, martini glasses. Yes. <laughs> so he was the third of five. His father was a major of the Carlo Rifles, which I'm just assuming is something military. I went on so many side trips, I had to stop myself from side trips on this one. I know. Th- this guy's name, Major Cairns Dean Tanner. Damn. Yeah, Karen's That's a theme. name. That is a name. The family moved to Dublin pretty soon after uh, William was born. And then uh, he just grew up. We don't have a lot from his, uh, his you know, early childhood. Uh, 1885, so he would have been 13 at the time, until 1887, he went to Marlborough College in Wiltshire, England. Mm, cigarettes for all the kids. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Smoking them all day long. The motto... Uh, the Latin for it is Deus dat incrementum, which is... God's in a little bit? God gives the increase. It's from 1 uh-huh. Corinthians. 
Uh, it was originally founded in 1843 to educate sons of the Church of England clergy. The traditional British boarding school system was known as, they, they had a thing, it was known as fagging. And I did just say what you think I just said. No, no, it's a bundle of sticks. It's, so, But it's also in this case where the uh, they had the junior students become basically servants to the seniors. Okay. So it's, it's kind of um, a hazing type thing, you know, or a very specific hazing. It was finally abolished in the 1820s. And Marbo was actually one of the first to do it, but there was still unofficial fagging long beyond that. that I'm sorry. Unofficial fagging is, you know, like I said, the steamiest of all faggings. <laughs> yes, it is. If it's unofficial, it's verboten. Mm. Uh, it was actually, in 2015 and 2016, it was the most expensive day school, because it could act as a day school or a boarding school, depending on your needs, uh, in the Headmasters and headmistress, Headmistresses Conference at £9,610 per term for day students. That's, That's a lot of pounds. Almost 12,000 pounds at the time in the U.S. Or Damn. dollars, sorry. Um, we don't go by pounds. So, yeah, and uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, a.k.a. Princess Kate, and uh, Princess Eugenie of York uh, went there. Eugenie of York is 10th in line for succession to the throne, and she's currently uh, has a father caught up in a scandal. She's the younger daughter of Prince Andrew. Ooh. Yeah. Do you think Epstein killed himself? Oh, my God, am I ever sick of those memes. No, Between the, you and one other person yes. that I know, and then you'll, they'll, you'll frequently show up right in conjunction with each other when I'm scrolling through Facebook, and then somebody else has started with it, and I'm like, my entire Facebook is, is Epstein didn't kill himself memes. Let me explain why I think the Epstein thing is I knew we were going to get into this. I me. should not have well, with, it. with Andrew. Yes, with Andrew. Because it's coming in there. What I think is extremely important about it is, for the first time that I can ever remember or even research in history, the conspiracy theorists are looking to be right. Yeah. And yeah. everybody in the world is going like, there's no way he killed himself. There's no way. And when the medical examiner came out, the entire country went, told you. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's a very important I think it's a very important thing. So the reason I'm throwing up a ton of them, it's not to be funny. Okay. It is to be to have people go, look, this is probably the most important and this I honestly believe this. I think Epstein is the most important news story of our lives. Not 9-11, not uh not medical health care, nothing. Epstein is the most important news story of our lives. Okay, I understand he did a lot of terrible things, was an awful person, and was connected with a lot of powerful people, but is it just because of the conspiracy theorist being right and being out, like the conspiracy theory really being out in the sun and being believed that makes it important? I think More what, important than 9-11 that changed the complete fabric of our society, maybe? I think, I think it's more important because it is showing that the people that we have put in power, the, the choices that we have have not been the right people. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of us kind of knew that, but... We, we just, did... And that's all around. That's, that's, yeah. that's across the board from one side to the other. Right. Where all this... It's proof of the phrase, the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I, I honestly believe this is the most important news story of our time. I still think 9-11. <laughs> but... Fair enough. Agree to disagree. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We can do that. So, uh, back to William Desmond Taylor, who yeah. was not William Desmond Taylor just yet. He did some acting in school. He 
According to one source I found, he failed tests to get into the army. He failed tests to get into the army. I, I insist in calling it the army. <laughs> the army. It's the army. It's it's that Irish accent. I'm joining the army. <laughs> Perfect. I even did it by accident. So his dad sent him to a dude ranch slash reform school, which who knew, right? Like this was a thing. I, I love that. I love that. A dude ranch. Apparently... Apparently, it was very common for like people to become gentlemen farmers. Yeah, yeah, that was a thing, and that was how you you went about it. They would the the, the gentry would send their children, their well, their let's be honest with each other, their sons off to the dude ranch to learn the ropes and become a gentleman farmer. Uh, so I think it was a little bit, you know, like, oh, well, you're not going to get into the army and I'm a major, so uh, off you go to the dude ranch. He actually apparently did some more acting there, acting on the dude ranch. I guess maybe they had, like, Friday Night Theater or something. I have no idea. You know, there's no TV. That's true, that's true. And I mean, radio? Oh, even back then, even back then, you know, radio, like, radio plays... We're talking more along the lines of, like, 1920s, 1930s. No, I, I wouldn't yeah, say radio right. then. Oh, yeah, 1890. My brain is completely stuck in 1920 because, oh, my gosh, this case. Um, so, yeah, uh, he eventually moved to New York, New York City. There he met Ethel May Hamilton. Now, she was actually a stage actress. She had appeared in Floridora, which... I've seen pop up multiple times in our cases, but I did search through my notes and I can't find where it actually was. I actually would have mentioned it on the air. So this was, I think this was everybody in the 1890s and 1900s appeared in Floridora. Like it was just a requirement for being a human being. You had to be in Floridora. <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I just know that everybody was in it because I see it mentioned so many places. It's kind of like Unchained Melody. Everybody's sung Unchained Melody. Yeah. Everybody acted in Floridora. Exactly. So her father was an investor in a Fifth Avenue English antique shop, very creatively named the Antique Shop, with, of course, two P's and an E. Of course. Of course. You get it's some the sort old-timey of... spelling. You've got to spell it old-timely in old-timey times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm surprised we don't have an E at the end of old in our name. I feel so fancy with my martini glass recording. <laughs> I'm going to have, like, beer and martini glasses from now on. <laughs> Just really fancy it up. And you've got your blood orange bliss. Blood, blood, blood orange bliss with vitamins, acts, antioxidants, energy. And I love how they bold <laughs> the energy up there and zero sugar. And from what I understand, the energy part is just caffeine. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. see that real quick? Absolutely. Sucralose. Yep. Uh, sucralose and aspartame. Uh, I discovered the hard way after going for uh, tests for uh, lactose intolerance. Because uh, I thought that was what I had. And it came up completely negative, which is great because I can eat cheese and I'm happy about that. But I discovered the hard way that uh, those actually make me incredibly bloaty. Wow. <laughs> a little personal information there for you. I was at the hairdresser once and I was like, you got to hurry up and curl my hair because I got to get out to my car and unbutton my pants. I don't think I can get away with it here. I'm pretending to pour, <laughs> pour some of my stuff in here just because I want to hear Christy fart. <laughs> it's not even that. It doesn't necessarily make me Cassie necessarily. It just makes me really bloaty. I don't know where the air goes. I'm just saying. <laughs> My, my apologies. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that was fun. Sorry for that weird sidetrack. Uh, I didn't think we'd get there from there, but I mentioned my drink, and there we were. They were married at uh, the Church of Transfiguration in, on December 7th, 1901, a.k.a. the little church around the corner. Did I you read about this place? I love this place. Yes. This is uh, First East 29th Street, New York City. It was founded by George Hendrick Houghton. And he gave sanctuary to African-Americans under attack. Mm -hmm. When rioters would come to the church searching for black victims, 
Uh, Haughton dispersed them, yelling, You white devils! Do you know nothing of the spirit of Christ? <laughs> I, you know, it's New York. You white devils! No, that doesn't work that, either. That was more southern? That was more southern. You, you white devils! <laughs> Chris, we're walking up here. You do you know nothing of the spirit of Christ? <laughs> um, actors were considered kind of... To kind of be like rude bastards. They were outcasts. Yeah, it was considered, like a lot of churches considered it a sin to act mm-hmm. or to have an interest in theater, to go to the theater. It's professional lying, people. Exactly. Yeah. God frowns upon it. Thou shalt be smoted. So in 1870, Rector William T. Sabine of the nearby Church of Atonement refused funeral services for actor George Holland, who, I looked him up. Decent guy. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely decent guy. Sabine told his uh, his friend and, and co-actor Joseph Jefferson to go to that little church around the corner. They do that sort of thing. Which had my notes I have after that. Yow! Yeah. And then that same actor, he replied, if that be so, God bless the little church around the corner. Now, this was a fun little fact I found. In 1990, Rex Harrison was memorialized at the church. Mm. Do you know who Rex Harrison is? Yes, of course I do. Yes, My Fair Lady. Exactly. Rex and Harrison. And many other things. Yeah. yeah. There, and there's a great story I will tell about Rex Harrison. Okay. Uh, Rex Harrison was walking one day with, I believe, Cary Grant. And God, that is just a lot of just male beauty. Yeah. Side by side. I just need a minute. Now go right ahead. Okay, go on. <laughs> and... Here's the thing. Rex Harrison was not straight. He was married, but he was not straight. Yeah. And Cary Grant was having some trouble with his wife. And Rex looked at him and went, I say, Grant, wouldn't it be great if we were just homosexuals? (laughs) That's beautiful. For our younger audience who may not know who Rex Harrison is, he is the inspiration for Stewie on Family Guy. Exactly. Yes. So if you look up some Rex Harrison... Uh, videos on YouTube, of course, and you'll see it. There's something about her face. <laughs> <laughs> That's so well done. Well done. Thank you very much. Um, P.G. Woodhouse, actually, he m- married there in 1914. Uh, he did a lot of writing. He would, in the future, set any of any weddings he had in his work, that he portrayed in his work, he would set them at the church around the corner. Uh, the hit musical Sally... Ended with the entire company singing, Dear little, dear little church round the corner, where so many lives have begun, where folks without money see nothing that's funny in two living cheaper than one. I feel like dancing. I feel like I should have actually looked up the, the, the song so I could actually have a tune instead of just sort of kind of working my way towards something I'm making up. <laughs> it was kind of like, it, was, it almost sounded like an Irish jig. A little bit, yeah. I yeah. don't know if it was meant to or not, but... So, um... Good old uh, William Desmond Taylor, still not William Desmond Taylor yet, uh, still William something Dean Tanner. It's on page one, I'm only on page two. William Cunningham Dean Tanner uh, and his his wife uh, Ethel, they had one daughter, they named it after Ethel, her name was Ethel Daisy. I had a car that ran on Ethel Daisy (laughs) (laughs) Haven't we all? (laughs) Eventually, eventually I had to get rid of it because where are you going to find a mechanic that works on them? Especially considering that she was born in either 1902 or 1903. We don't even know what year. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. How horrible is that? It wasn't that long ago. I know. Record keeping has made huge strides. Some maybe not so great for, you know, like tracking people across society. But it's made huge strides in the past century or so. This is true. This is true. 
So Taylor, he did a lot socially. He, he, he was a, a man about town. He was in clubs and such. He also had affairs and drank a lot and uh, was possibly depressed. So... Uh, I've done everything on here except for the hat affairs. <laughs> Whenever I've been in a relationship, I have always been celibate. Or not celibate, but not... <laughs> well, you were celibate? Towards, towards the end of my second marriage, I might as well have been. Uh, but I've always been monogamous whenever I've been with something. But yeah, ladies, man, oddly enough, yes, I don't look it. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've toned down on that recently. Heavy drinker? Well, I guess whenever it comes to soda. Um, <laughs> depressed? Yeah. Haven't we all? <laughs> <sighs> anyway... So, October 23rd, 1908. Yeah, old old Willie throws down a smoke bomb and disappears like Batman. Basically, yeah, taking some money with him on the way. He goes out to lunch. He's, by the way, he's 36 years old at this point in time. His daughter would have been uh, five or six. He goes to lunch, and uh, he calls the antique shop, where, by the way, he's like a, a vice president of sorts, I believe. It seemed to be the case. Um, and says, you know, hey, can you messenger me $600, which, by the way, is about $16,745 in today's money, so not a small chunk of change. Yeah, Jesus. Got Could you imagine getting, like, a tip of a nickel someplace and go, I can buy the restaurant now? <laughs> yes, basically. <laughs> it's unbelievable, dude. When you look at inflation, when you look at the chart of inflation, how it went, like, like just kind of like meandered along a little bit and then the depression hit and it went like, you know, like had some spikes down and up mm-hmm. and down and up and then all of a sudden like the 50s and 60s hit and it was just like, it's just this curved, this sharp, yeah. sharp, steep hill that you can't climb up because it's become vertical. Yeah. <laughs> That's and basically what inflation has become. I mean, half pennies used to be a thing. Yeah, yeah. Penny was worth so much we had to cut them up into fractions. Yes, yes. And now you, you can't, you know, find any and we don't even need the pennies or use the pennies. We, we take them to the store and we put them down a, a tube and then we get an Amazon gift card. Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> That's all they're used for. I don't know why we still have them. It seems kind of a waste. I like them. I guess, you know, it, I like the, the uh, Europeans and the Canadians and such, the, the coins for dollars and two dollars and such. Um, although it does encourage my husband to carry it around in a baggie, which is ever so classy. <laughs> I have a story about that. I'll tell you when we're off the air. But um, yeah, it's uh, something. So he, uh, people said that he had had little bouts of sort of amnesia and he might occasionally, occasionally, he might occasionally just kind of, you know, totter off for a few days, come back. And so they kind of thought that that's what it was, not but that's the, not normal. Not the first time that we've seen this. Yeah. Agatha Christie. Mm-hmm. Kind of, maybe, maybe we'll went through the same thing. Get to that case. Yeah, where Agatha Christie at one point checks herself into a hotel and has an entire backstory set up to this personality that she's some either created intentionally or unintentionally in her mind. So, yeah. It happens. You Brain's know, like a funny thing. Fugues in such fugue states. Uh, so, uh, all we know is he basically did some gold mining. He was in some acting troops. He wandered around, like, Canada, Alaska, Colorado, Montana, maybe. It's very, very iffy and cloudy these these years. In 1912, Ethel, uh, the wife, got a divorce. Uh, four years. Four years. Four years this woman waits for him. Yeah, yeah. And like, that that astounds me. Cause and I'm, raising a child. I'm yeah. really, now, granted, you know, her, her, she came from money, so it probably wasn't too difficult, but still. But four years. I mean, today... Like, people get divorced because the husband brought home the wrong sandwich. People 
get remarried after like six months <laughs> or after a death. Yeah. <laughs> after something that is like profoundly life changing. And, yeah. and, and maybe that's grief and I'm not criticizing necessarily. I'm just saying that like four years in comparison with, with those kinds of actions, it's a long time to wait. Absolutely. Absolutely. The ones that piss me off the worst are the people that get divorced and then remarried to the same person. Oh my gosh. I know people who have Jesus done that. I know people Christ. who have done that. Yes. I'm always just like, no. You probably made the right decision when you left. Why are you coming back? There's, there's. Uh, That's like <sighs> taking a gallon of milk out of the fridge, sniffing it, going, it's gone bad. I'll put this back and see if it's better next month. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, he's changed. She's changed. Bullshit. So, 1912, uh, he showed up in San Francisco and changed his name to... William Desmond Taylor. Here it comes now. It's the name of the episode. You knew that was coming. He got some money from some New York friends who happened to be in San Francisco, and he took that money, and he headed down to good old Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Hollywood land. Hollywood land, yes. Hollywood, yes, land, Hollywood land, at land at the time. So he goes to Innsville. This was an interesting place. It was an entire city made of movie sets, um, this was all the brainchild of uh, Thomas Ince, so it was called Inceville after him, and that's I-N-C-E if you're having trouble picturing that in your mind. Uh, and basically, he was a silent film director, and this was basically the fir- very first major Hollywood movie studio as we know them today. He kind of like there had already been, of course, there were movie studios. You know, they had to do the recording somewhere, mm-hmm. but everything was still very early days. So he. Uh, he bought 460 acres located at Sunset Boulevard and Pacific Coast Highway. Nice ocean view with that yeah. 460 acres. Leased another 18,000 acres going up into the Santa Inez Canyon. That's 7.5 miles of land. Damn. Yes, yes. They had stages, props, houses, dressing rooms, elaborate sets, commissaries, offices, labs, outdoor western sets, houses with all kinds of different architectural styles from different countries. I mean, this was incredibly elaborate. This was really, really something. This was the place to be. This guy owned his own county. Exactly, yeah. And this was where you wanted to be if you wanted to get in on the ground floor of acting and directing. That is exactly what William Desmond Taylor would do. He got hired as an actor in the movie Counterfeiters. And then he was in the KB Productions film, which I couldn't find a whole lot on them, so I guess they're not that interesting. Probably got sucked up by a bigger company is what I can mm-hmm. tell. Uh, the Iconoclast. And people say he didn't really socialize very much on the set. He spent a lot of his spare time just kind of watching and learning about the movie-making process, which would serve him well as he went along. He ends up directing more than 50 films. Mm-hmm. Um, now, around 1914... 19 to 1919, he's engaged to actress Neva Gerber. Yes. I yes. love that name. Neva Gerber. Neva Gerber. Neva Gerber. And he had met her. Sounds like something a frog says. On a, <laughs> like you're sitting on the bayou on a hot summer night, you got yourself a cold beer in your hand, and the frogs are chirping in the swamp going, Neva Burger. Neva Burger. Never burger. Never burger. Never burger. Never burger. Never burger. I'm saying burger now instead of Gerber, I just realized. <laughs> it's bound to happen. So yeah, he uh he had met her on the set of The Awakening, which was his first acting directing gig. So he was that that was his first time doing both roles because the studios were like at the time they were like, One person, two jobs, one salary, there mm-hmm. we go. Boom, 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 sneaky studios. And yet he promised to marry her when he got back from the war, which he didn't really go to the war. I do have a side note. 
Did you know that in 1915, uh, he actually got in touch with his sister-in-law, which was the uh, wife of his little brother, Dennis, who also managed an antique store and also disappeared and abandoned his wife. Yeah, and here's the thing. He didn't support his wife, Yeah, but he supports his sister-in-law. Sends her $50 a month, which is nearly $1,300 today. Would someone support me with $1,300 a month? That'd be fantastic. That's pretty please. Yes. She was ill with tuberculosis, had some kids. I was never able to find out how many. Um, and there were some rumors that he gave his brother some work and that his brother acted the part of the blacksmith in the movie Captain Alvarez, but no telling whether there's truth to that. But it's just so weird that his brother is like, oh, he managed an antique store too. Oh, he also left his wife and children and just vanished into the night. Interesting. Do you think... Okay, here's a wild theory that's utter bullshit. Do you think maybe he was his brother? <laughs> like he's an actor, right? Oh yeah, yeah. He like runs over, like, oh, honey, I need to run to the store, <laughs> and he, like ends up at his like sister-in-law's place, and he's just got a wig and a mustache and glasses on. <laughs> and, oh, hello, how's my child doing? And then back over, hi, honey, I'm back from the store. And he plays this out for four years, and finally it just breaks him mentally, and he has amnesia. I mean, considering the mystery of some of his life, it's certainly a valid, as valid a possibility as any, really. Absolutely. <laughs> Evil identical twin, you know, playing a clone of yourself, whatever. Playing aliens. your brother, aliens. So, yeah, he actually, he rose pretty high. He would direct versions of Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. He directed a version of Anne of Green Gables, very near and dear to my heart. It was one of my favorite childhood books. What I would do was I would scare the crap out of myself reading Dean Koontz, which, yes, I know, not very scary as you're near an adult, but when you're a little kid and you don't have curtains no. on your window and you're on the ground floor. So. I disagree. Dean Koontz is terrifying. Okay, thank you. Thank yeah, you. Dean Koontz is terrifying, even though Dean Koontz, and I'm not dissing him. Number one, he's a local boy. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, he's from around Everett. Somerset, Everett. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Everett near Bedford, just about an hour away from here. So, hey, Dean, hey, if you're Dean. listening. Um, but Dean Koontz has written the same book 800 times. <laughs> There's a golden retriever. Yes. There's some digs at academia. There's the deformed or uh, or mentally handicapped child. Oh, my gosh. There was the one book. My mom always told me I was. there was the one book I was banned from reading. Darkest anyway. Evening of the Year? No, no, it wasn't that. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It was one of his one-word titles, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, uh, it was, there were, it was one where, uh, one of the characters kept on waking up covered in blood and didn't know if they were committing murder I've or something. It. And somebody had a, uh, sibling with Down syndrome. Yes. that was in a home. And my mom always banned me from reading it. And then in college, literally in college, I was like, I'm a grown up. Screw you. I'll read this. I'll read whatever I want. And so I read it and, uh, spoiler alert, if you ever read this book, the title of which I cannot remember, uh, they killed off. The uh, Down syndrome sibling, and uh, for those of you who are listening that don't know, I have a little sister with Down syndrome, so my mom was actually very smart to ban me from that because I sat there sobbing and I was very, very, very broken. Oh my God, Dean Dean Koontz, the the, the found family, always, always with the found family. Which I love, I love odd that as a theme. Thomas. Oh, Odd Thomas was so good. Yeah. Oh, Odd Thomas, I cried. I'm reading the know, book and I'm crying. I have to tell you, I, I got uh, Jackson to read The Strangers, which was one of my first Dean Koontz books. It's a big doorstopper of a novel. And uh, it's got all these people across the country experiencing different, and I'm spoiling this for anybody, just so you know, uh, experiencing different weird life changes. Like one guy keeps on waking up to find that he, you know, has, has, has 
breaking things, and one woman keeps on having fugues and, and finding herself like you know running down the street, and she blacks out and doesn't remember you know what happened, and all these different people having these different things, and um, Jackson is reading it, and we're walking along, we're at the beach, and he's like, so uh, so weird that it was the aliens, and I'm like, oh, you're that far already, and he was like. No, that was a joke. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, no, it's aliens. <laughs> Seize the Night was mm. another favorite of mine. I was always kind of hopeful that Dean Koontz would throw in Chris Snow and Odd Thomas oh my God, in the same yes. novel. Because those two would work so well together. Yes, yes, they were both fantastic characters. And the Odd Thomas character, he actually stopped mid-book when Odd Thomas just kind of came into his head and he was like, no, I need to write this right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> like, yeah. So we and went down a, a, quite the interesting path there. But. If you haven't read Dean Koontz, you need to. Even if you don't like reading, you need to read Dean Koontz because it's honestly like chapter one, they were driving down the road and the... <laughs> The headlights swerved on, and oh my god, everybody's dead! Yeah. As the action happens immediately. Yeah, definitely in media res is, is big for him, and he's it, it's a good writer. Absolutely. Um, great writer, but I think that you're, you're either, if you're born into a family of readers, you're either born into a Dean Koontz family or a Stephen King family. There See, is no both. No, there there is both. I am, I am a both. Okay. But in a weird sense. I like anything that Dean Koontz has written where it's not Dean R. Koontz. <laughs> Before he dropped the R, I didn't like his books. Stephen King, I'm a big fan of anything Stephen King wrote before he was run over. After he was run over, his writing turned to shit. So there's my two borders. Dean oh, Koontz. Oh, no, I had to read The Stand for grad school and... Well, it did affect me strongly. <laughs> I'm still not sure. I'm still the jury's still out on whether I actually liked it. So that's. Uh, but I've read some good shit by him too. That's a horror novel talk with Scott yes. and Christy. <laughs> Join us next week whenever we talk about William Desmond Taylor. <laughs> yes. See ya. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, William Desmond Taylor, not Dean Koontz. Um, he he kind of stayed under the radar, uh, and this is all the Never Gerber. Um, he, was, he was with her throughout this time. He met her on the awakening and then he was supposed to get with her. Like they were supposed to get married after the war, but all this time he's slowly rising and, uh, he's acting in a tale of two cities. And the director found out that he was very well schooled in art and literature. And all of a sudden he becomes this, this well to be tapped. Yeah. And here's the thing. Neva Gerber doesn't really hold it against him. No. And she says like after he passed away, she was quoted as saying she had never known a finer man. He seemed to be a very upstanding citizen for all of his, you know, weird behavior before that. He seemed to be very kind and very intelligent, very hardworking. Yeah, he even ended up visiting his ex-wife and daughter. Yes, yes. In 1921, made Daisy his legal heir. Now, this was after uh, they accidentally found out where he was. Yeah. By going to the movies. That's your daddy. <laughs> that's exactly what she said. She said, that's your father. So yeah, Ethel Daisy wrote to him and he, yeah, he, he did the right thing finally. I mean, she should have been his, well, I guess, no, she should have been his heir no matter what, but they probably would have had a hard time tracking her down because right. nobody knew. Nobody knew that he had been married and had a child. It's so strange that all these people probably thought that they knew him so well. They worked with him. They had relationships with him and so on, but they didn't even know this, this vital part of his life where he actually was married and had a kid. There was, this is an interesting guy because there, there honestly does seem to be something mentally off about him, mm -hmm. but at the same time, he's a nice 
nice guy. Yeah, yeah, he's not doing anything necessarily wrong except maybe the abandoning your family, but he rectifies that. So he just, maybe he's just going through a rough patch and just needed to make a new life or something? I don't know. Like, I can't explain it, and I, I feel bad excusing it because it did probably hurt his wife and daughter. But at the same time, you know, we all, we're all human. We're all flawed. We, yeah. we all screw up. And it's a thing. It might even be a situation where, like, he's talking to his sister-in-law, Ada. She has to mention he had a wife and kid. Maybe it doesn't psychologically hit him. Maybe it doesn't set in until he actually lays eyes on them again. Maybe, yeah. Maybe he just kind of put them out of his mind intentionally because he needed to move on and go somewhere else with his life. I don't know. Who knows? So, but he did have... I like this because I, I, I grabbed some some uh, movie synopses of, of the stuff that he directed. He had some flops. Ben Blair. Uh, there's some backstory to this where, you know, Ben had his whole childhood and a, 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 a guy and his mom and all that. But uh, the, the climax seems to be when Ben learns that Florence has become engaged, he goes after her and issues an ultimatum. If she does not take him back, he will kill her fiancé. After... F- no, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Way to escalate the situation. After first resenting Ben for his demand, Florence realizes that she loves him and returns west with him. I think that deserved to be a flop, honestly. Uh, William Desmond Taylor had some hits, like The American Beauty. Uh, the synopsis of that is, the infant daughter of a wealthy couple is thought to be lost at sea, but she survives and is raised by a poor family. I thought you were going to go porpoises. <laughs> raised, raised by, by poor, and I call it, come on, porpoises, porpoises. <laughs> and that is so... I know this is slightly past Victorian times, but that is so Victorian. That is uh, such a Victorian plot. I can definitely see Dickens writing that. And then uh, finally, this is not the last thing he did, but just this is the last of my plots that I'm giving you. Uh, he directed Mary Pickford in what I'm calling Early Joe Millionaire. Okay. Do you remember that show from like the mid-2000s? Yes. Where they had a guy pretending to be a millionaire, but he was actually a construction worker who was also an underwear model. Um, <laughs> so uh, it's, it was called How Could You, Gene? <laughs> How could you, Gene? I'm asking you. The temerity. Gene, Jesus freaking Christ. The sheer temerity How of you. How dare you, Gene? That's the sequel. The unmitigated gall. The sequel. How dare you, Gene? How dare you? And the, then the third sequel. What the fuck, Gene? <laughs> I love it. Yes. Part three. <laughs> so a young socialite pretending to be a cook falls in love with a man she thinks is a hired hand, but he is actually a millionaire. No. <laughs> I know, right? No. Come on. So it's like a, a rich person pretending to be poor falls in love with another rich person who pretends to be poor. That's not the way it works. And then they have massive amounts of money yes. instead of a mediocre large sum of money. Yeah, yeah. Millionaires and socialites, yes. And indeed. they slap their servants whenever they find out and just abuse them terribly. Why, the lady of the house once hit a man so hard that was their butler, his vision improved. (laughs) (laughs) So, through a lot of this period, World War I is going on. He enlists in the Canadian Expeditionary Force? Right. Why? 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 I guess maybe, I don't know. Well, okay. (laughs) He might have still been Irish. So they may not have taken him into the U.S. military, but Canada, being kind of like a territory of England, might have taken him. Very true. Yeah, we don't know if he was naturalized yet as an American citizen, and uh, if he had tried, he might have had a hard time considering that he had a whole different name, Yeah, and he didn't want to be associated with his old one, so... 
He was a private at first in July 1918, transported to Dunkirk as temporary lieutenant. As we know, in November 1918, that was the armistice. War mm. was over. So uh, he ends up a major, and in, he's discharged in the summer of 1919, which is also the year that he directed Anna Green Gables, starring Mary Miles Minter and Paul Kelly. And if you're a fan of the um, Anna Green Gables movies from the... I want to say late 80s, early 90s. I had them on VHS. I know that much, but probably taped off the TV. <laughs> Illegally. Um, look up this early Anne of Green Gables. Look up Paul Kelly and Anne of Green Gables because he would have played Gilbert Blythe. And he looks very similar to the man who played Gilbert Blythe in the Anne of Green Gables that I grew up with. So it was weird looking at these pictures because also that man died a couple years ago. It was very sad. Um, but it was weird looking at these pictures and being like, I wonder if they modeled their choice for Gilbert Blythe off of him or if they're modeling off of the description from the book and it's just a coincidence or what. But they look very, very similar. It's interesting. So, yeah, as you said, uh, he directed 59 silent films between 1914 and 1922. I just want to say, I, of course, did the math. That is 7.3 average per year. Obviously, he didn't do exactly seven per year, but on average, you know, he would he would do about seven per year. Um, and he acted between 1913 and 1915. He acted in 27. In That's two years. Impressive. By February 1922, he was making $37,000 a year. I guess you get to uh, make a lot of films whenever you don't have to edit the sound. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier. You should know. Yeah. You edit sound on the uh, exa weekly. Exactly. Um, and then here I have what 37000 a year is, but I mistyped something. So I have dollar sign 5K, 5K. Uh, I think it's 565000 <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's definitely five something 5000 So it's over 500000 He was making over half a million dollars. How about that? There we go. He was making over half a mil per year. That's, that's in, American, in, 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 in modern day American dollars. That's a lot. Here's the thing. I make around 38000 a year at my current job. Let's not talk about how much being an adjunct pays. Let's really? Not, no, let's not. Let's not. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 it's. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not, not going to say if it's good or bad. You don't know from the tone of my voice. <laughs> I do. I'm smiling, but I could be dying on the inside. You want to talk about a murder? Someone's going to die. Someone's going to die. And uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, so you, sometimes you don't know because the name of, of the episode, sometimes it's the murderer and sometimes it's the murder. Mm -hmm. So uh, Like Stanford White? Exactly. The murder E. Exactly. <laughs> Madame Fami. The murderer. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So it goes back and forth. It really depends on who was the famous person or who became famous. And really, it's, it's, it's very confusing. Sometimes I feel like when we put the murderer's face on the episode art, we're glorifying them. But like... Quite to the contrary. Quite to the contrary. It's, we do not glorify... And please forgive us if I'm sitting here going like, and he was shot 87 times. That's awesome. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's impressive. <laughs> but but no, I do not glorify murder in any way. If anything, um, I, I, want, I want these shows to be kind of a lesson of like, don't pine for the older days because they weren't really that good. It was just as bad, if not worse. Yeah. So he is at home in his, he lived in the Westlake neighborhood of LA. It's a, it's a posh little area. It's February 1st, 1922. Around 7 p.m., he returns a call to Antonio Marino, who's an actor. The LA Athletic Club, was, which was a gym and social slash gentleman's club. They had space for gymnastics, swimming, training, team sports. They had eventually made an outdoor park with running and biking paths, a baseball diamond, tennis course, and croquet. 
places. I don't know what you call a place where you play croquet. A rink? That Maybe. sounds right. A croquet rink, yes. They had a croquet rink. Had a big reading room and places where you could play billiards and cards. I would have stayed with Planet Fitness if this would have been the case. <laughs> All right. Notable members include Charlie Chaplin, L. Frank Baum, <laughs> Douglas Fairbanks Jr., Mary Pickford, Rudolph, R- Rudolph Valentino, Ooh. Johnny Weissmuller. Ooh, local boy. Winber boy, Johnny Weissmuller. I think I may have met him whenever I was very young. That's so cool. You said your dad was friends with Johnny yes. Weissmuller. So cool. He would come up to uh, my dad's property and hunt on his land. That's so and of course, William Desmond Taylor, another notable member. So around 7.05 p.m. that night, Mabel Norman, now she was an actress and a close friend of his, and he was trying to get her off of cocaine and opium. She apparently had quite the habit. Um, he had sent her to a facility, which was probably the first time that a big movie star was sent to rehab, essentially. Uh, the first person to ever get famous from rehab? Not to get famous from rehab, but just yeah. famous person sent to. Like, it, it, it wasn't even known as rehab there. It was probably a sanitarium or sanatorium yeah. or whatever they called them. The, the I, I know that the first person to openly go to rehab was Bella Lugosi. Okay, all right. Uh, for, I think it was, I think it was either opium or heroin. It was one of the, it was an injectable. I know that. Okay. And his friend, Ed Wood Jr., uh, was the one who like got him in there. They kicked him out because he didn't have enough money. Oh my god! And he ended up back on the stuff, and it ended up being what <sighs> did him in. There's a wonderful movie called uh, called Edward Junior with Johnny Depp. Go see it. It's fantastic. If anybody needed to go to rehab, Mabel Normand needed to go to rehab. She's said to have spent over two thousand dollars a month on drugs. That is close to twenty nine thousand dollars a month God in today's money. Damn. So he was working on this. Uh, he said she. You know, he. he he said, I have a book you should read. So she came over. She uh, stayed until uh, 7.45. Uh, they really, um, they had had uh, quite the conversation, apparently, in 40 minutes or so. They had orange blossom gin cocktails. Oh, oh Cheers. That's what is. I have in my hand right now. They talked about Nietzsche and Freud and movies. And uh, and then she left. Um, Happily, they blew each other kisses, which I don't know why I didn't kiss her on the lips. It's really easy to kick and kiss a coke addict because, quite honestly, their nose just collapses in on itself and you can get right up in there. Yeah, yeah, get real close, real <laughs> yeah. close, uncomfortably close. So, yeah, a couple of neighbors would later say that they saw someone around the bungalow. Um, one said he had an effeminate walk and was funny looking, had a cap and something tied around his neck. One neighbor actually saw this person in Taylor's doorway, door open. It was about 5'9", stocky, and looked like, quote, and this is from the testimony, by the way, the witness testimony, my idea of a moving picture burglar. So just grabbed some stuff from props, maybe, and from the costume department, mm-hmm. and went over to Taylor's house to do the thing. Maybe even grabbed a, a gun. I just, I just imagined somebody in, like, black pants and a white and black striped shirt mm-hmm. with a stocking cap and a little tiny, like, Zorro mask over their eyes. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I picked And too. a big bag with an S and a dollar sign painted on it. But apparently my idea of a moving picture burglar is just somebody wearing a suit, a, a cap, and a muffler. A muffler being a scarf. So No, no, I, I, I thought car muffler. <laughs> I mean, it is the latest fashion. Those... It's a little bulky, but it's winter. You you can you can wear bulky stuff. You Californians have a weird fashion sense. I know, it's very, very strange. 
So, and then around 7.45 to 8 p.m., somewhere around there, some neighbors said they heard what sounded like a car backfiring. So they went out to the street to look, and that's when they saw the funny-looking stranger. 8.05, his chauffeur comes to see if he's needed, rings the doorbell, actually comes a couple times. He rings the doorbell, no answer, so he takes the car around the back, and he comes back and rings the doorbell some more. It just goes on for like 10 or 15 minutes. There's no answer. There's more lights on than usual. Nothing, like one neighbor lady sees his lights on later than usual. Well, not later than usual. More lights are on than usual because he wouldn't normally have the house like lit blazing, but he would burn the midnight oil quite mm -hmm. frequently. He was a very hard worker and he'd <sighs> plan to do his income taxes that night. Fuck. I mean, at least he got out of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I really hate doing taxes, yeah. but I still wouldn't like to be murdered beforehand. I would, I would rather do taxes than get murdered. I will say that not by much. It's just by a smidgen. You, he's making like half a million bucks a year. Get an accountant. Yes. Yeah, he actually, I think, had recently been to see an accountant just uh, in, a, in a day or two. But that accountant, I, I, can't, I couldn't quite suss out the relationship and all the testimony. Somehow knew uh, Mary Miles Minter's mother, who... Uh, That's a lot of M's. It is really a lot of M's. They really were throwing that alliteration out there. Um, so yeah, I don't, it was, this, this accountant actually does pop up like in the testimony and everything. It's very strange, but it never really comes to anything. So, and he was going to do his taxes himself. So. Oh, and Mary Miles Minter's mother. Mary Miles Minter's mother. But first, uh, one of his neighbors is awakened by Taylor's butler, Henry Peavy, 7.30 a.m. the next morning yelling, Mr. Taylor is dead. Mr. Taylor is dead. So now you know who died. Peavy had come to work, opened the door found Taylor lying on the floor. Uh, now here's the interesting s chain of events that happened. The neighbors come and they say that it looks like somebody actually arranged his body. One person even testified, they, they said, I can't see anybody falling like that. He was laying perfectly straight, body like, like he was in a coffin. Mm -hmm. Coat was perfectly straight, he was wearing a coat, which they asked witnesses and uh, I believe Mabel, too, if they had seen him wearing a coat when he said goodbye to her, and he had not. So that's strange that they put him on it. Um, yeah, actually, I do have Mabel Norman said he wasn't wearing a coat or a smoking jacket or anything like that when, when she left. But it's very, very weird, the, the laying out. And someone, like, comes forward and goes, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. Over here. I'm a doctor. Doctor. What's your name, doctor? Uh, Smith. It's definitely Smith. Really? Definitely Smith. But, but your name tag says Pepper. It's Jones. <laughs> it's definitely Jones. Definitely Jones. I, 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 I grabbed my colleague's uh, name tag by mistake. The, the esteemed doctor. Wait a minute. You're a woman. You can't Hieronymus be a doctor. Pepper. In the, you can't be a doctor in the 20s. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What the hell are you doing out after 9 p.m.? <laughs> what the hell am I doing out at all? Yeah. You stop voting right now. <laughs> So yeah, this this person who said they were a doctor came in, took one look at it, said stomach hemorrhage. <laughs> Sorry, so hard to get through. <laughs> said stomach hemorrhage, then vanished into the ether. Smoke bomb down, <laughs> grappling hook into the sky. So many smoke bombs in this episode. <laughs> so and the studio officials were called first. They got there before the cops and the coroner. 
They removed a whole bunch of stuff from the house. This is mine, and this, this is, is mine. mine. Uh, including all of these letters mm-hmm. that uh, were written to you, except they missed the ones that he'd hidden in his riding boots. Uh-oh. Sneaky. They took as much bootleg liquor as they could find. They said, you know, to, to Peavy, the, the butler, they said, clean up the blood. They even had actors, actors and actresses running around rummaging through drawers trying to find, like, all the, like, women's lingerie from his, his many visitors. Did anyone get the name of the doctor? Dr. Pibb? <laughs> <laughs> That's the off-brand doctor. Uh, miss, Mr. Pibb. Mr. Pibb, yeah. <laughs> Gender-neutral Pibb. Um, Hasn't been to med school Pibb. Well, this doctor's never seen again. Never seen again. Yep, just absolutely just disappears. They end up rolling the body over, and that stomach hemorrhage uh, seems to have been caused by a small caliber pistol. Yep, shot at least once in the back. You'll get a stomach hemorrhage from that, all right? Yes. You'll get a lot of hemorrhage. Yes. <laughs> there there will be blood. All depends on where the bullet goes in at, yes. whether you get the stomach hemorrhage or not. But there's going to be some fucked up organs in there. I think this random doctor is one of the very strange points of this story. Like, there's a lot of strange points, but I think this random doctor, like, who would do that? Would it, was, it, was it an actual doctor? Was it somebody who just thought it would be fun or somebody with a macabre sense of humor? I can't figure it out. It's, it's one of two things. It's one of two things, and I don't think it's the first one. I, I, it's either somebody who is an attention seeker, uh, possibly like a Jared Leto-esque actor who will not get out of character. <laughs> I don't think method acting was a thing back in those days. Maybe I'm wrong. Or, honestly, like, whoever they saw as the robber comes back dressed as the doctor. Returns to the crime scene. Just to make sure that everything's taken care of. And when somebody, you know, like, maybe talks to him or something, he he panics and says, well, I'm a doctor. Mm -hmm. Apparently, if that's your go-to move when you're panicking, you should probably take some Xanax. (laughs) Really? Especially when you're going back to the murder scene. Is the, is there enough chiropterist in the house? I'm a chiropterist. What's a chiropterist? I'm just thinking. But I that. am one. I promise. My favorite Seinfeld episode with George and the and the and the whale, where he uh, he he says that he's a marine biologist. Have you ever seen that episode? I have not. I'll just show you the part after we're done recording. I'll just I'll just show you the part where he uh, he he does a monologue about him going out to to, to save a, a whale at the beach to impress a lady, and it is you need to see it. It is I, I'm tempted to pause and show you right now, but it's my favorite favorite thing ever from Seinfeld. So. Fair enough. So uh, according to some reports, they removed a lot of porn. And what's wrong with porn, that? Old timey porn. Well, you know, like back then, especially uh, the, the the stigma. I mean, we were just past the point where actors were considered of the devil. So I imagine that anything even simulating sex on paper was probably considered kind of bad um, by the general public. Porn is one of my favorite things in the entire world, and I love the fact that we live in a society where it's free. <laughs> I would never have guessed you really liked porn, Scott. I love pornography. I'm so surprised. I've known you so long, and I, I didn't know porn. this fact. If you're just tuning in, Scott mentions porn every episode. I do. I do. <laughs> which, I mean, generally, sometimes you have to weasel it in, but this time it just it just, it just it, threw itself at you. It really does. You love it when porn throws itself at you. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. <laughs> Except whenever it's this weird incest porn, stop it. We know you don't like that. None of us like it. I don't know who likes it. They're weird. Sick bastards. So... It, this is, keep in mind, oh, also they got a big collection of ladies' lingerie as well. And we'll get into that a little bit, too, when we do suspects. But uh, I have, like, a big bag of ladies' lingerie at my house, too, just from, like, friends I've had over, and they leave it there. I mean, I, I, wouldn't, 
I'm not that I'm going anywhere, but I wouldn't leave my lingerie anywhere. Mine's all hanging up in the closet, all nice and everything. Wow. I, I treasure my lingerie. I just, <laughs> it was yeah. many years into my 20s before I was able to buy some nice stuff. You know, if they come back, I'll give it to them. I'm not like keeping it from them. <laughs> yeah, it's not a fetish or something like no, that. No, no, no. It's like all in a, like a it's, big. It's like women and boyfriends' hoodies. Yeah. It's like that. Yeah. yeah. Whenever you're prolific on Tinder, women tend to leave their clothing at your house. There you go. I've stopped that, by the way. I, I, I've kind of went, I took a long, hard look at my life and went, you're out of control on Tinder. Stop it. And I deleted my Tinder account. Also, considering some of the stories uh, you, you told me, I'm, I'm, that's a good idea. Probably. So many of my, so many of my lovers have died. That's really scary. <laughs> it really is. So let's keep in mind this, this particular murder happened only five months after the Fatty Arbuckle scandal completely rocked Hollywood. And that scandal wasn't even over. That was the OJ case of its time. Oh, exactly. Yes, yes. This was huge, and people were, were absolutely riveted. There were three trials. They were still in the second trial. The jury was out and wouldn't return, uh, which they would return deadlocked for this one, if you didn't guess from the fact that there was a third trial. <laughs> they didn't come back with a unanimous verdict and then have a third trial for fun. Um, although sometimes the judge can vacate a verdict, but whatever. Anyhow, so... I listened to too many true crime podcasts. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the next day, February 3rd, th this is still very much current events ongoing. Mm -hmm. And then, oh, my God, there's another scandal. So the studio executives were right on top of this shit because they were like, we do not want any more tarnishing of our, of our brand. It was not a robbery. There were thousands of dollars of, of jewels found in his room. Yeah, he has $78 mm -hmm. on his person. And everybody's like, so fucking what, $78? No, no, no. If we're that's like going like oh Scott's found dead he and he happened to have one thousand one hundred and seventy dollars in his pocket exactly that's a lot to be carrying around you he yeah. had a diamond ring still on his finger his cigarette case pocket watch etc etc silver et made of silver silver his, yes yeah. yes I had so many details Scott I couldn't include the silver I had there's too many <laughs> details sorry it's okay no I appreciate it and uh, but but I need to mention there was five thousand dollars in cash missing he had shown it to that accountant. Um, I guess this is where she comes in. Um, he had shown it to that accountant, a lady accountant, what? Um, the, the day before. I'm just a girl. I don't know how to work a number. And that was never accounted for. Mm. So <laughs> I see what you did a... there. I even wrote it down and I didn't notice. I've been making so many unintentional puns lately. Okay, so my brother lives in a van and I know that sounds ridiculous, but he works for the National Park Service and it's good for, he's not going to, it's a seasonal job. You don't have a house or an apartment when you have a seasonal job. You can, but it's a pain in the ass to find like a six month lease or something. Mm -hmm. So eventually he kitted out a van. He worked really hard on it and it looks really cool and he's able to just travel around. So it sounds weird, but don't judge. He's not homeless. He just lives in a van down by the river. Exactly. And I told him the other day, we were joking around about birthday presents for him, and I asked him if he wanted a Van Gogh for his van. And I didn't even realize it. Didn't even realize it. I think I made another unintentional pun today. I've been making so many of them, I can't even remember what it was. Wow. Yeah, it's getting crazy in here. So, yeah, 5000 in cash never accounted for. <laughs> so, uh, oh, also uh, on him was a locket with Mabel Norman's picture. There were rumors around town about their relationship, um, and and we'll get into that. It's, it's interesting to see some perspectives on that. So, you ready to talk about some suspects? Let's uh, let's talk about some suspects. We do have we do have a time of death. Was it was seven fifty p.m. Mm -hmm. Um, and we do have like. We do we have quite a, the cast of characters we here. We do. It's we so do. very Hollywood. We've got a bonkers stage mother. 
her heartbroken teenage movie star daughter. Drug dealers. I mean, you've got the the Hollywood it girl. It's it's quite the story that that, that all these people that they they have to go to yeah. and try to figure out their relationships to and try to figure out you know why this happened and who did it and Don't everybody's forget, we, just we kind of have two butlers. Oh yeah, and the butler could have yeah. done it. Yeah, two different butlers that could have done it. One former, one current. Yeah, it's absolutely. Oh my gosh, then the the suspects is where I really got in the weeds with the research. That where I was. That's where I was like, oh my god. Yeah. I said we were. I, I thought I was getting really good at research because the past couple of weeks it's been uh, easier and faster. And then this week I got so mired down into it that I was like, no, I'm I, that those cases were just easier. <laughs> it was. It was just when you get into a case like this, there's so much material. I, I think the the best starting point for the suspects and there are many Mm -hmm. probably let's talk about edward f sands okay sure yeah let's talk about edward f sands let's move a couple pages i just went in the order they were presented somewhere i don't even know he is also known as edward fitzwilliam strathmore yes and jazz jazz yes yes which is a transformer (laughs) of course it is isn't everything Kind of. <laughs> I'm surprised uh, Edward Sands isn't a Transformer. Well, someday, maybe. Yeah. If he works very hard. There is a Transformer named Sandstorm, so. <laughs> he was uh, Taylor's butler until about seven months before the murder. He uh, he had a nice Cockney accent, except he was from Ohio, so there's that. <laughs> there's a guy up in Westmont who sports an English accent. And I talked to him once and I said, well, where are you from? And he goes, oh, I was right here, born and raised. Oh, no. He goes, do you know I'm the only one in my family that speaks like this? I'm like, I'm not surprised. (laughs) No. I bet not, you kilt-wearing freak. So he was convicted of embezzlement. This was all before his employment with Taylor. Embezzlement, forgery, serial desertion from the Navy. Basically what he would do is he would desert, and then he would re-enlist under a new fake name. Mm-hmm. This guy was ridiculous. He actually ended up re-enlisting in the finance department of the Navy. They apparently could just throw anybody at that, at that stuff. He forged a check to himself for $481.83, and then also forged some disparate... Also forged some discharge papers for himself. My dad did that once. Forged a check or discharge papers or forged something. He forged a uh, he forged a pass. Oh, okay. Yeah, he my dad forged a pass because the uh, he wanted to go home for Christmas whenever he was fighting World War II. My dad forged a pass and then stayed out longer than the pass gave him credit for. Oh. He didn't get caught. He's a little white out. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, according to Taylor's chauffeur, uh, this Edward Sands Sands stole $2,400 from Taylor, although some sources said $5,000, but this was actually in the testimony itself, so I just went with that, uh, which is $31,000 in today's money. Spent so much time on uh, historical currency conversion. Uh, Forging checks in his name while Taylor was in Europe. He also wrecked Taylor's car. And then later, broke into the bungalow and left footprints on the bed like a weirdo. Yeah. And then throws down a smoke bomb and vanishes forever. Except he may have, when he robbed the house, uh, stolen some gold-tipped cigarettes, which apparently is a thing. what? I don't know. I couldn't, I, I didn't, there were so many weird things I couldn't research all the weird things. Is the gold tip on the, the, what end? Is it the breathe end or the fire end? I don't know. How the fuck do you light it or breathe it in? <laughs> I don't know. What the All right. fuck? All right. Well, okay, what the hell's a gold tip cigarette? Curiosity. We're looking it up. It looks like it's the breathe end, as you put it. Uh, here's some Sobrani. 
uh, Russian brand of cigarettes, uh, subsidiary of Japan Tobacco. Apparently, there's a race car. Uh, but here we go. You can't smoke a race car. <laughs> here is your gold tip cigarettes. Jesus. They're very distinctive. So, they, I bet they I bet they smell like cloves. They look I, like they'd smell like cloves. I bet they are cloves cigarettes. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I'm not going to... I'll just control F. Clove. Nope. Okay. So I don't know. Okay. Uh, but so yeah, uh, those gold tip cigarettes were stolen. And then a few weeks later, uh, they found some of those cigarettes like stomped out on, on the porch of the bungalow like somebody had been standing there smoking them uh so that was kind of suspect like almost like the person who did the burglary which they were pretty sure it was sans came back and maybe was checking to see if anybody was home or something i don't know so it's it's strange that 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 was just a strange little thing he also stole taylor's jewelry pawned it under taylor's real name Oh my god. And then sent the pawn tickets, mailed them to Taylor, as if to rub it in his face. The fuck? Yeah. Um it was that was uh that was something. I I have a quote that he said uh he was talking to the chauffeur and was talking about Taylor and are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> because I Hit had me to, with it. This is one of those things I had to copy and paste into Slack to send to Jackson. If the old man ever gets hard or something of that sort with me, I will let him know where I get off at, you see, and where he gets off. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why did people talk like that? Uh, Didn't they know? <laughs> what What the heck did I see on... I saw looking this, up everything. <laughs> yeah, I saw this on Facebook and I posted it. There, there was some... There was some phrase. I think the phrase... I'm not going to look it up. But apparently Marvel comic books has been around for a fuck ton of years. Mm -hmm. I think we all knew that. But somewhere around those phrase, those years, the phrase a stiff dick oh, yeah. meant a stern talking to. Yeah. And Iron Man, Iron Man is telling Captain America, maybe what you need is a stiff dick from an Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> and Captain America looking at him going, maybe I do, shellhead. Maybe I do. <laughs> oh my God. So Sands also, he kept a close eye on Taylor because the chauffeur said in his testimony that Sands would know if a woman had slept overnight from the following evidence. Hairpins in the bed. It said... Hairpins are a bitch. Every woman that I've had over to my house, every woman I've ever dated or been in a relationship with, that's how you women, that's how you mark your territory. Hairpins. Uh, my wife left me two and a half years ago. I am still finding her hairpins. I have bobby pins everywhere. Um, it said pink combinations that had been used, but I think that's a typo, and it's condoms. Okay. Although, why are they using pink condoms? That's a little weird. Um, a used douche bag. <laughs> nah, it's, I've been called that before. <laughs> <laughs> and whether or not Taylor was using suppositories, and I have in parentheses, man, sex really has changed in 100 years. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Nothing, nothing does me better after sex than a good poo. So here's, <laughs> I wanted to bypass that, but I just couldn't. Um, That's the part I need to find out. Why suppositories? See, I want to know about the pretend doctor and you want to know about the suppo suppositories. I think that says a lot about our personalities. I who just, we are as people. Am I doing sex wrong? <laughs> I think they were doing sex wrong. I'm pretty I, sure. Fair enough. Also douching. Don't do it. 
Um, it's supposed to be really unhealthy. It's, it's yeah. a self-cleaning organism, ladies. Yeah, it's the jamming vinegar up there. It's not a salad, people. Yeah, it's not like your oven where you have to press a button and actually make it you know, clean itself or puts anything in there. No, no, it does the job naturally. And if it's not doing the job, go to your doctor and get that shit taken care of. So, um, so okay, so anyhow, <laughs> that sidetrack down douchebag lane. <laughs> uh, one, this is weird, okay? You had... In the testimony, uh, the chauffeur saying that his wife saw Edward Sands the day before the murder walking down 16th Street near Flower, although from the map, maybe it's changed since then, 16th seems to become Venice Boulevard right before it intersects with Flower. Okay. I think I said that right. Um, And then... One of Taylor's friends had also talked to the chauffeur, and he gave like basically like hearsay testimony to the police, where he said that the chauffeur's wife had seen Sands at the corner of Fifth, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. Figueroa. Massey. Absolutely. Figueroa. Let's, let's see here. Figueroa. 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 Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, now it makes sense. Yeah. Or Figueroa. I've also heard it pronounced Figuero. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Now this is. And that's at 115, the day of the murder. That one is one mile-ish from Taylor's Bungalow, which was on Alvarado Street. And uh, the other one is four miles away. So who cares? Why are they giving this testimony? Why are they... I mean, you saw him somewhere the day before, four miles away. Oh, no! He, clearly, he did it. Yeah. Like, I just don't under, I, I, I know that I'm, I'm repeating it to you and therefore giving it importance of some sort just by the fact that I didn't just cross it off and move on with my life. But I, I had it written down... You know, the first part about one of Taylor's friends saying that the chauffeur had seen it, and then I saw the actual actual testimony of the chauffeur, and I was like, wait, that's a different street. So you have, what I'm demonstrating here is the testimony is all over the place. Yeah. You have the hearsay testimony that's on one street, and then the hearsay testimony, or the, it's sort of still hearsay testimony, because the chauffeur's saying, oh, my wife said, they never brought the freaking wife in, as far as I can tell. Why not bring in the person who actually saw him? Oh, because she's, she's a, a woman. woman. Her testimony isn't important. We don't care what she has to say, but if you a man, it comes from your mouth, well, you have a penis, and therefore it's important. Everybody knows that the intelligence is kept in the scrotum. Yes, yes, yes. So the cops at one point asked Taylor's chauffeur, I think it was the chauffeur, if Sands was particularly hairy, which is a strange question. They actually asked if he had long hairs on his breasts, in those words. And if he had long hairs on his legs. And the chauffeur said, yes, it was ungodly long. <laughs> this man was a, was a beast. The man just takes his shirt off at the beach and just watches every woman that secretly wants to sleep with Sasquatch run his way. <laughs> and if he doesn't have, like, a paper to write their name and phone number down on, he just braids it right into this chest. <laughs> oh, the ladies love him. So we do have that he actually, he was working at a lumberyard at the time. He signed in for work the day of the murder, and I guess they considered that an alibi, but they don't say what time. Was he working at a lumberyard at 7.50 p.m.? That doesn't seem like it's the normal business day, but maybe it had a, a second shift or something. Maybe it was a really busy lumberyard. Here's the thing. Here, this, And I'm only going by like my experience with California. I know whenever I was out there in 84... Lumber was a big, big deal. Okay. Because the trees that they cut down are redwood trees. Oh, yeah. You know, so, I mean, and at the time, and I'm sure it's changed. It's been long. It's been 30 years since I've been out there. 30, 36 years since I've been out there. They wouldn't even accept a piece of wood that had a knot in it. 
if it, if the if a, a piece of lumber had a knot in it, it was considered unusable. Wow. So yeah, maybe 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 it was really busy. Okay. Yeah. And uh, that yeah, that's that's all I have on him, except that he was never seen again. Some reports that he committed suicide in Connecticut, but it's all very vague, and he just kind of he smoke bombed his way out of there. Yeah. The next the next one, the the current valet of uh, WDT, as I'm calling him. <laughs> it sounds like a wrestling move. Henry Peavy. All right, you this, talk all about Peavy, Peavy because I only have a little bit on him. This poor man. He uh, Henry Peavy replaced Sands as the valet. He is the one that found Taylor's body. Peavy was a little odd in his own right. Mm-hmm. He wore flashy golf costumes. He didn't own golf clubs, but he wore the costumes Three days before the murder, he was arrested for social oh, vagrancy. Yes. That's right. And being lewd and dissolute. Mm-hmm. But what I'm actually reading is here is three days before the murder, he was arrested for being black. That's exactly what I thought. That was yeah. exactly what I thought. That they would yeah. they would pin anything they could on him. And um, good old WDT was actually supposed to go to court for him the very next day and stand up for him, which mm-hmm. for me kind of says like you know either. Like, one possible conclusion you could come to is maybe Taylor backed out of that idea, but it doesn't seem like the kind of thing he would do. Yeah, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, and this is this is kind of where, like, it really makes me angry because just because the guy is black, I know this guy is probably standing on the corner. And, like, they go up to him, what are you doing standing here? Start to write out the ticket. Mm-hmm. He goes, what? what do you mean? I'm just standing here. Lewd and dissolute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And this was a guy who was shocked at, at you know, foul or semi-foul language coming from Mabel Norman. Mm-hmm. So, and which was just kind of, it seemed to be from reports, it was just the way that she talked in general. She was uh, she was like the female version of you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> if you were a Hollywood starlet. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> my name up in the lights. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> Ah. Oh, God, we really should film these sometime because <laughs> you're really getting into that. <laughs> the police decide PV is innocent almost immediately. However, Florbel Muir of the New York Daily News thought otherwise. This woman, and I read about this woman, she seemed like a tough cookie. She was actually injured in a shootout at one point. Oh, my. Uh, interviewing interviewing a bunch of mob bosses at a restaurant, and then the other mob bosses came around and blew the place up. So she tries to trick Peavy into a confession. Mm-hmm. She, she knew, and I'm using that term very loosely, she knew, implied quotation marks, from movies that black people are afraid of ghosts. So what they did, and I have uh, I have a direct quote here from from PB, supposedly from newspaper, mm-hmm. but as we'll you'll see if you uh, if you sign on to our Patreon, we're gonna post something there of us reading from newspaper uh, mentions of the day, and it's it's awful and hilarious, but awful in a hilarious, awful way. So. Uh, this is they, they basically kidnap him for 12 hours and it wasn't just her and it was it was a, a couple of her reporters for the I think it was the LA Examiner 
And uh, he his quote is, they drove into the cemetery and said, gee goodness, it makes me nervous to drive into a cemetery at night. How do you feel, Henry? I replied, it doesn't bother me. They drove up to the vault where Mr. Taylor was lying. They said, turn quick. They turned the car and all the lights went out to make it dark. I got out of the car and walked over to the vault. And just as I got there, a man walked out from behind the vault with a white sheet over him. And they said, look, look, there is Taylor. I stood and looked at him and he commenced to make some funny noises and dropped down and got me around the feet and commenced groaning. They kept trying to make me run and I wouldn't run and said, what in the hell are you guys trying to make out of me anyway? A fool? Now, this ghost. In a white sheet. In a white sheet. I think Flora Bell got the wrong idea whenever she was watching movies about black people being afraid <laughs> of white people in sheets. Yeah, I think I think there was a whole Little other confusion. organization involved there. Little confusion. No, it was a scary movie. These ghosts came out, and the black people were very afraid, and then they this crucifix caught on fire. They also don't like that. No. <laughs> Let's do that in the Let's cemetery, do- too. Why not? Um, she has a man named Al Weinshank covered in a sheet. And he jumps out and says, and I'm not making fun of Al. This is how he says it. I'm the ghost of William Desmond Taylor. You murdered me. Confess, Peavy. (laughs) Now, here's the problem. William Desmond Taylor spoke in a thick British accent. (laughs) Right? So it's like, I'm the ghost of William Desmond Taylor. You murdered. That's the way it should have came out. Instead of this thick Chicago accent. Because that's where Weinshank was from, Chicago. At this point, Peavy looks at the ghost and goes, <laughs> just because he realizes what's going on, and then looks at him and goes, fuck you all. <laughs> Weinshank would later be gunned down in the uh, Valentine's Day Massacre in Chicago. My goodness. Yeah. These people, we, we got so much uh, so much history going on here, and so many people involved in it, sort of, you know, some right in it and some halfway. Yeah, and it's just... Jesus Christ, what a great moment in racist history. Yeah, right? What a ridiculous moment in racist yeah. history. Black people are afraid of ghosts. Well, who isn't? <laughs> black people bleed red. And I saw in the movies that black people are don't like being hit with bats. <laughs> if you prick me, do I not bleed? I mean, come on. It goes all the way back to Othello. Yeah, yeah. Wow, Jesus Christ. Yeah, there's some ridiculousness here. But, I mean, you'll, you'll really see the ridic- ridiculousness if you get on our Patreon and listen to us read from old-timey newspapers. Oh, my God. Uh, people are sitting there like, I can look it up myself. But, you know, you can't listen to it in our weird, stupid old-timey voices. Do you really want to look this up or, yourself? <laughs> Seriously, it took us a long time. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my God. And then you... I had to reformat, like, at least the, the, the play part that we did. The, the little skit because I was like I cannot stand this formatting because it's all like kind of like word documents or not word document but tech, uh, notepad style document like you know and, and so it doesn't fit into word it's all like all the lines are cut off like two thirds of the way yeah. through and I'm like no and then like there's indents but there are five spaces <laughs> I'm like oh this is, I'm so no no the OCD really kicked in this oh way, it kicked in it? hard yeah <laughs> so so yeah continue with PV uh, that's pretty much it for Peavy. He's he's essentially cleared of all charges and declared quite sane by me, personally. It's, yeah, yeah. However, uh, Muir, you're fucking nutty, you white bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and probably not very intelligent. So. I was kind of hoping she died early, but she actually lived a pretty long life. <laughs> oh. oh, man. 
So should we move on to Mabel Norman? Now? I think we should move on to Mabel Norman. Now, as we know, she was the last person to really see him uh, alive. She was she was very much an it girl of the time. We'll put plenty of pictures up on the social media. There are so many pictures for this one. I'm going to be very, very busy next Friday. Uh, she wasn't she wasn't necessarily seriously a suspect, but the police really didn't like it when she came back to the house to try to get the letters that she had sent to Taylor. She told investigators, not that they meant anything to any one of us, but I feared that they might fall into other hands and be misconstrued. I get that. And, uh, you know, basically, it's really tough because either Taylor was head over heels in love with this woman, or he was gay. Or he's bisexual. I mean, one or the other or the other. You know, so many, so many of those movie stars from the time. We talked about Rex Harrison. Yeah. You know, gay. Uh, Raymond Burr, not very well known. Raymond Burr was gay, mm-hmm. and there was actually an understanding with like the newspapers. We don't talk about Raymond Burr being gay. And his manager had this whole story of like, well, Raymond Burr was married, but his wife and his daughter ended up dying. In in a plane accident, and he doesn't want to talk about it. Mm. So that was all thrown down. So Raymond Burr, gay. Vincent Price was bisexual. He was he was married. It was a, a very famous line. I think Cary Grant. Somebody asked, "Is Vincent gay?" And Cary Grant goes, "Vincent doesn't care what side of the street he drives down." <laughs> um, so and it is. I, I love the fact that we are living. In a society now that's like, if Vincent, like, if somebody would come out and go, you know, Mark Hamill's gay, there would be a big, yeah, so what? Yeah, exactly. But keep in mind that it was only in the 1990s when, like, Ellen came out as gay and it was a huge deal. So we've come so far in the years since, and it's nice to see. Mark Hamill, as far as I know, is not gay, but if he is, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. 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 Be a good person, and that's all we really care about, at least here at Old Timey Crime. Yeah. If you're a good human being... We don't care which side of the street or both sides of the street. You can drive your car down the left side and then right back up the right side. Just do not drive <laughs> through the playground. No, 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 no. Please don't That's do that. where we draw the fucking line. <laughs> yes, yes. The playground or the pet store. And it's, <laughs> yes, yes, don't drive there. I Just, think you know what we mean. You know exactly what we mean. So, uh, Peavy, going back to Peavy, actually... Mabel would talk to Peavy about how, you know, like, oh, will you come with us when, 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 when William, when Billy and I get married and, and have a baby and we help take care of us? And so uh, Peavy, basically, he thinks that Taylor was crazy in love with her and he's unsure about her feelings about him. But he also thought that she was the murderer. Peavy did. But the article I read that in, it got the times wrong. I got kind of, oh, this was in Taylorology. I did get a little steamed up about this. Because I read all this witness testimony that was on their own site. And then I read this article in one of the Taylorology issues. And it's like, well, um, PB thought it was her. And one of the reasons was because uh, the the chauffeur said that he came at 745. And she said that she was leaving at 745. And he thinks, you know, PB thinks that her chauffeur lied for her about the time that she left. And I'm like, but no, the the chauffeur didn't come until 8 o'clock. Yeah. So uh, that doesn't actually work. The, the theory that I kind of go through, she was going through an amazing amount of cocaine. And she was giving those dealers a lot of money, as we said. And he was... He was he was pretty successful of get, uh, getting her off the stuff. Not only that, he was going the hardcore route. Yeah. He was actually reporting her dealers to the cops. Yeah. So he was kind of 
Not, not. I'm, I'm definitely not saying that this was in any way his fault, but he was courting trouble here. He had to have looked at that situation and known what he was getting into. I'm, I'm most likely he was an intelligent man. He must have known that he was, and he probably did it because he, a, he thought it was the right thing to do, and maybe b because he he loved her. He actually he was chairman of the board of a commission against drugs in Hollywood, Hollywood Land, because of her and other stars' drug issues. Um, and so basically, the the people in the drug business, you know, maybe they wanted to keep them keep the money flowing. And here is this. You know, this this British Irish man standing there saying, No, you know, I'm I'm gonna block all the money from you, especially this two thousand dollars a month, and they're saying, Okay, well I guess we gotta get you out of the way. Yeah. So let's face it, a hit man. A hit man that like you said, that two thousand is close to twenty two thousand mm-hmm. a month. Hit men twenty nine thousand. Twenty nine thousand. Hit men don't cost that much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 definitely uh it's a it's a win. It's <laughs> your 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 profits uh, definitely outweigh your your loss. On exactly. That one. Um, exactly. Mabel would die in 1930 of tuberculosis, so not too long afterwards. And it's rumored that um, among her last words was the question, "I wonder who killed poor Bill Taylor." Yeah. So, uh, Mary Miles Minter, maybe. <laughs> Mary Miles Minter. And her mother. These, these kind of blend oh, together. God, her mother was a fucking oh my hot God, piece a, of ass, but such a bitch. Oh, she's a piece of work, I thought you were going to say, because she's a piece of work. Reading her she, testimony, I was like, lies. Lies. All of this is lies. I can tell it's lies, even in courier, typewriter, black like, and white. Honestly, I kind of I kind of throw, and her mother's name was Charlotte Shelby. Mm-hmm. I kind of peg her for the killer. I do too, yeah. I know we just said it's likely that it was the the drugs, but this is this is the one of those cases where you go back and forth when you read her testimony and when you see the times that she lies. And there was a, a magazine interview with her years later when she and and Mary were estranged, and just the way she manages to turn every question, like the simplest of questions about her actions and her behavior and everything, she manages to take it and spin it around to this grand injustice that's being done to her. I was like, you know exactly what you're doing. I mean, her own daughter, not Mary Miles, but her own daughter, Margaret Shelby, accused her mother of the murder yeah, later. in 1938. Yeah, yeah. Would actually come out and say, yeah, I think she did it. You guys maybe want to look at her again? Maybe? Maybe? No? No? Okay. Okay. All right. Well, well I mean, I tried, and now I don't have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving, so. Now, remember, uh, WDT, you know, Taylor, he didn't die of the stomach hemorrhage. He died of a shot from what is believed to be a 38 pistol. And there were some unusual markings yes. in, the, in yes. this wound. Shelby owned a rare 38 pistol and some very unusual bullets, similar to the ones that killed uh, Taylor. And what does she do? Throws the goddamn gun in the Louisiana bayou. Except, in her testimony, she says it was her mother, Mary's grandmother, that threw it into the bayou because of an incident where Mary went and... uh, attempted suicide with the gun and was unable to because she couldn't get the safety up. Or in some other stories, she shot it, but she shot the wall instead of herself. Well, for, Mary... She was doing it for attention, so it really depends. But um, And then there's other stories that it was retrieved from the bayou. It just... It, this I got I definitely got way into the weeds on the gun. Oh, my yeah. God. Mary Miles Minter was a former child star. We all know how well they always turn out. Oh, very well adjusted. Very well adjusted. Uh, honestly, there was a point in my life whenever if somebody would have said, do you know the cast of Different Strokes robbed Fort Knox last week? <laughs> I would have went, yeah, I could see that happening. Yeah. So... 
Mary Miles Minter, she was 20 years old when he was killed. And she had been, uh, she'd been in Anne of Green Gables and I think a couple of his, uh, his other films. She had a huge crush on him. Huge. She wrote him these lovelorn letters that would later be made public and be later be a lot of fun was made of them in the press. She called him my mate. Even in, a, in an interview done with her in 1970 uh, in, uh, that's on YouTube, and I'll, I'll post a link on the social media, she calls him my mate. And I'll talk about that in the interview because it's, it's kind of heart-wrenching. She claimed that they were engaged, which uh, he, was, he was old enough to be her father. Literally, she was about the same age as his daughter. Yeah. Literally. And so uh, some were, people said they had a thing going, but others say that he pushed her away and he only wanted friendship. Even the day he was killed... Um, supposedly a friend asked how she was, and he said, she's all tonsillitis and temperament, which is kind of beautiful. Oh, that's gorgeous. Isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I was delighted by that. So her mother, Charlotte Shelby, kept a really close eye on her, um, but she was still able to sneak out after the whole household, which was also her grandmother and her sister, were asleep, and she would go over to Taylor's house. Multiple times this happened. Uh, one time when he tried to get her to leave, she said, I will scream. I will make the biggest scene you've ever seen. Biggest scene you've ever seen. <laughs> it looks better on paper, okay? It really does, yes. <laughs> I will wake every single neighbor in every single bungalow around. And, uh, yeah, so she, she definitely was uh, a little bit of a thorn in his side. At the time that this happened, um, she claimed they hadn't seen each other since before Christmas. Um, there's some on that that I have to get into because there's a little... little um, <laughs> little scholarly cat fight that goes on through the news media mm. that is hilarious if you uh, like that kind of thing. But uh, investigators do claim she was there that night. Among the lingerie that was found, there's a pink negligee or nightgown with MMM initials on it. I don't know. I've, I, I've, whenever uh, whenever some of the ladies that I've had in my life come out in lingerie, I lose you go, mm. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, that's not out of the question. Well done. Thank you. But then other sources say there was no monogram. So, again, um, in this interview with her on YouTube, uh, I believe it's a Mr. Hyam, and I think his name is Charles, but I only saw him mentioned in one place. Um, I think he wrote a book. She talks about how she went down to the police station and she thought she was going to save him. She was in a little bit of denial. Read a lot of denial. Mm -hmm. She was so insistent on seeing him so they could, and this is a direct quote, take me to him, do whatever is necessary, and get the blood out of me and into him. End quote. Yeah, she had a whole thing going on. They actually, she was so insistent. She was so determined that they had to take her in to see his dead Body. You know he's dead. Just pouring blood on him ain't gonna work. He's not a vampire. <laughs> she had this whole thing about transfusions, and they can bring. And honestly, she seemed to think that they could bring anybody back, at least at this period of time. Wow. And uh, at one point, regarding the the nightgown, she said that she would give one thousand dollars to anyone who could show it to her. She said, "Okay, if this nightgown is out there, you show it to me, and I will give you about fourteen thousand dollars in twenty nineteen money." <laughs> and uh, the chauffeur. Just about flat out said, yeah, she would spend the night sometimes. Or at least he implied it very heavily in his in his testimony. Um, her sister basically alibied her for that night and said, you know, no, she was she, she was here. We had dinner. Then she laid on the couch and she read out loud from a book that was kind of okay. There was a in. lot of people visiting him that night. Yeah, yeah. Well, popular guy. Popular I guess guy. so, yeah. Um, has a side note, this killed her career. This absolutely killed her career. I would like to state, her co-star in... Anne of Green Gables, Paul Kelly. He went to prison on a manslaughter conviction in 1927 after a whole love triangle, the other guy died thing happened. 
he comes out and his career keeps right on flowing. And I was going to say, like, if you go to Wikipedia, go to Paul Kelly on Wikipedia and scroll down through his roles, mm -hmm. you're scrolling for a little while. You may as well just like, you know, like try and can, can you set that scroll on autopilot and go make a sandwich? You know, do that. Um, and uh, I would say uh, double standards, but fatty Arbuckle. Uh, Fatty Arbuckle. So did really, more. yeah, I, I yeah. can't, I, I can't claim sexism here. I think it just depends on the circumstances and maybe who you are, who you know, and what you're able to do. And also, Mary Miles Minter would later go on to say that she really wasn't happy in Hollywood. Anyhow, yeah. she didn't want her career to continue very much. So I think a lot of what she was doing was probably forced on her by her mother. Fatty Arbuckle. Whenever, whenever the OJ case happened, there were so many. There were so many comparisons with Fatty Arbuckle even mm -hmm. back and I, I was I was like 23 24 whenever the OJ case happened and everybody went I remember people going oh yeah he'll be back on top after this don't worry you I go no his career is fucking done this was the trial of the century his career is done because Fatty Arbuckle's career was done I had seen it happen before and to this day I am right but Paul Kelly Seriously, dude managed to have a lot of roles. And he, he even managed to get past any restrictions that were placed on him when he went on parole. I would be curious to see what the trial of Paul Kelly was like. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I, I imagine there there is something about it. If Paul Kelly would have come forward and said, yeah, I did it. I regret doing it. I didn't mean to do it. That might have saved his career. Think of Charlie Sheen. Whenever Charlie Sheen was busted for, for uh, sleeping with prostitutes and, and cocaine, he went on The Tonight Show and he was questioned, did you do it? And he looked and went, I like prostitutes and coke. And he was, okay, I like, Charlie likes prostitutes and coke. He fessed up. And like the audience just went, yeah, <laughs> hookers and coke. <laughs> so um, the trial, his manslaughter conviction... Um, at his trial, Kelly contended that Raymond, the other guy, the dead mm -hmm. guy, had started the fight and did not show any signs of serious injury at the time. He showed no remorse. Hmm. And, and yet. Yeah, but anyhow. So that, that's a whole thing. We'll figure that out later. I'm yes, going to do we, some more history on Paul Kelly. Maybe we'll do like a, a, a little mini, a, a five minute or something on that. So, uh. We'll, we'll do the entire show in helium. That's how we'll do it as many. Paul Kelly. <laughs> Double standards, fuck them. <laughs> so let's talk about, segue into Charlotte, because we know where things stood with Mary Miles Minter and these two, as I said, they kind of blend together. I have testimony from Charlotte Shelby's secretary. Fuck and I can't believe I just woman. got that out in one try. Fuck this woman. Uh, the secretary spilled all the damn tea. This woman definitely didn't have a job after she was done with her testimony. <laughs> she said... The secretary that during a fight between Caroline Shelby and Mary Minter, uh, Shelby said that Minter was intimate with Taylor and accused her of it, and so that was the time when Mary Minter locked herself in her mother's room with a gun mm -hmm. and supposedly tried to kill herself, and that's the same gun that we talked about. And uh, this is a direct quote from the testimony of the secretary: One night when we, so that's the secretary and Mrs. Shelby, went down to Taylor's after Mary, Mrs. Shelby took the gun, but I don't think she had any intention of using it on Mary. <laughs> That little that little qualifier there is very important. But apparently this happened several times. And at least one time, Shelby took the gun and swore she was going to kill Mary Minter if she found her there at Taylor's. So that's pretty bad. And so is the fact that she actually, in the secretary's office, 
In the summer of 1920, Mrs. Shelby threatened to kill Taylor, uh, walked up to him and said, if I ever catch you hanging around Mary again, I will blow your goddamn brains out. Shook her fist in his face and swore dozens of times. She also chased another actor, Monty Blue, Love that name. I love that name. That's it's, a game show host. That absolutely is a game show host. Welcome to Press Your Luck. I'm your host, Monty Blue. <laughs> Let's lose some money. And he was maybe 15 years older than Mary. She chased him out of the dressing room. And uh, Mary, Mary meant to herself. She's right there. She she, she takes that teacup right from uh, the secretary and she's like, there you go. Dumps it on the floor. She says, they asked if her mom had ever threatened to kill Taylor. And she said, not definitely. <laughs> she may have said, I'll kill him, I'll kill him. She was like that. She was always going to kill somebody. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know, right? And here's the thing. You, a lot of people are probably sitting back going, oh, this is an overprotective mother. No, it is not. This is a manipulative and greedy bitch. Yes, yes. She was stealing from her daughter. We know that the... Laws around stage parents and uh, child actors' money didn't come around until long after mm -hmm. this. So she would deny, Mrs. Shelby would deny ever being angry at Taylor or disapproving. She said, oh, we were great friends. We went out to dinner with him and Mary. It was, yeah, it was wonderful. Said, I would pour poison on his steak. He wouldn't need it. Yes, we had, it was pranks. We had a great friendship like that. Back and forth, back and forth. Did Strychnine ever really kill anybody? I mean, come on. Arsenic? I mean... Old Lace. <laughs> great movie. Fantastic. Oh, insanity uh, doesn't uh, run in my family. It gallops. <laughs> yes, I've always loved that quote. Do you know, do you know, I always, if one of the things I We're can do... We're at 140, Scott. Don't care. <laughs> don't care. It, it, with a case like this, I consider anything under three hours a success. Um... <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> If I could go back in time, I want to go see the play yes. or Snick and Old Lace yes. back in the day. Because, you know, in the movie, they kind of say the one guy looks like Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. The play, it was Boris Karloff playing that part, and he was famous for playing Frankenstein. Wasn't, who was it in the movie? It wasn't Karloff in the movie. I can't remember who it was. But in the play, in, in the play, it was Karloff. So they'd always make the joke. It was they looked like Frankenstein. Um, so I said, "Oh no, it's not a Halloweeny movie." And then, sure enough, right, you know, the the thing comes up before the movie starts. And one Halloween, and I'm like, "Okay, well, I, I caught it five minutes in. All right, <laughs> this is what happened when you had TV without DVR." So, all of this, she denies pretty much everything in her testimony, but she just seems so damn weaselly. So, in 1990, a book came out from Robert Giroux, and there had already been, and this was a, a book about, um, uh, this was a book about the, the murders. It was, I believe, Deed of Death is what it was called. Ooh, and then I like that title. Sidney Kirkpatrick had already come out with a book called Cast of Killers, I believe. I, I'm almost certain I'm getting these these right because I, I put them on our Amazon wish list. Old Timey Crime Amazon wish list, I'll put it up on our social media this week. You can buy us a book and make us do a deep dive. Make us read. So. I don't want to read. This is two researchers going back and forth as to whether or not uh, Charlotte Shelby was at Taylor's house or if there's any proof the night of the murder. So I present to you, sources are you mildly. <laughs> so they go back and forth in the newspaper about this. One in the LA Times, one in the New York Times. Sidney Kirkpatrick does a review of Robert Giroux's book. 
and says, well, Drew never mentions Mary Minter going to Taylor's the night of the murder. Drew snaps back, and this is this is all just really one review and one letter, but it's, I, I look at it as an arguing back and forth. Mm-hmm. Drew snaps back. I do mention her going over, just that it actually happened two nights earlier, and she was accompanied by her grandma, who she called Mama, and she desperately wanted to see Taylor because she hadn't seen him since Christmas. Kirkpatrick says, you don't mention Mary Minter's papers that came out with that detailed... Uh, Mary Minter's papers that came out that detailed the visit to the condo with her mother the night of the murder. Drew says, you should show us these papers because no one has ever seen them. And by the way, you're confusing her mother and her grandmother again. And it's just so petty and hilarious. And I, I love it. it. It was one of like the first things I found and I was like, oh, I'm so happy right just now. Just sort of sit back and watch all hell come to breakfast. Exactly. It's really beautiful. I'm going to try to read both of their books and do a deep dive at some point. It's going to be quite something because I'm going to be very confused, even more confused than I am now. So, uh, 1926, Mary files a million-dollar suit against her mother to return money from earlier films. That's $14.5 million. Good. They would reconcile later in life, but when that interview was done with uh, Charlotte Shelby, she was very careful. She would reference her daughter, but make sure that it was known when she was referencing her daughter that she was talking about Margaret. Mm. And she would, whenever she would talk about Mary, it was always by her name. They mm. were estranged at that point in time. And so... Um, the general theories, uh, seem to be, okay, she killed him in anger for, you know, defiling Mary, uh, or she killed him because she was afraid that he was, uh, threatening her control over Mary. That's exactly what it was. There was no defiling. Uh, I'm not saying there wasn't any defiling. <laughs> there was no concern of Charlotte about her daughter being defiled. The concern was like, well, a husband might take a look at this and go, oh my God, look what your mom's doing, and then I'm not going to have any money, because I've known greed bastards like this. There was also, and I did not believe this one one bit, but it's, it seemed to be the prevailing theory, that she killed him out of jealousy because she was in love with him too. I, did, I, didn't, I didn't buy it. I don't, think, I don't think a woman like Shirley can love somebody. No, so yeah, see, that's it. That's the exact thing. Yeah. People are possessions and they're potential money to her. They're... They're just tools to get what she wants. She's essentially, she's a psychopath. Just, she's not, well, maybe she is killing people. Yeah, maybe. You know, it's, but, but people are just objects to her. Yeah. So in the 1940s, uh, the DA of Los Angeles, Buron Fitz. Uh, not an alien. <laughs> not an alien at all. I'm definitely not an alien. What is this thing coming down from my, my shoulder? Is that a shoulder? Is that what you call it? A shoulder? Why, why, is, it, why is it swinging when I walk? And now you, I'd love to see him like in the courtroom. And now, Your Honor, I'll ram my ovipositor down your throat and lay my eggs in your chest. That is how this procedure works, right? I, I, I read the right book. But I'm not an alien. <laughs> um, he said, Buron, that's such a fucking name. It's Buron. Uh, that there wasn't enough evidence to indict. So, really? I mean, like, as we said. Um, and she actually evaded. Evaded questioning. She oh, spent, spent years outside. Yeah, she spent years outside the U.S. evading questioning. And then we have Margaret Gibson. Oh, I, that's what I forgot to put in. Go ahead with Margaret Gibson okay. because I went so deep into the into the woods with everybody else. That's okay. <laughs> Margaret Gibson, very, uh, very kind of. I'm not gonna say sleazy. 
because it is a whole bunch of whatever in my book, but I would say a questionable person uh, for the time. She was an actress. She had worked several times with Taylor. She had been tried and acquitted of prostitution, which, whatever. That's I think that's one of the things that, that most people are surprised. I'm very whatever about prostitution. Yeah, yeah. Um, opium dealing. Okay, now I've got a problem with that. Yeah. You know? She, uh, she changed her name to Patricia Palmer. And... In 1964, you can call this a deathbed confession, but she was not doing well. Uh, a couple of days before she dies, she confesses to the murder of, of Taylor. Which seems kind of open and shut until you realize that several other actresses also did. So it's kind of weird that this was like the trend or the thing to do. Or Well, I can't go to my deathbed having not confessed to <clears throat> William Desmond Taylor's murder when she went, Patricia went to her deathbed confessing. No, I'm, I'm well, keeping up with the Joneses right up to the freaking grave. And here's the thing. People are probably going, oh, this wouldn't happen now. We've got three or four people confessing to be the trigger man on JFK. Yeah, yeah. In their deathbed confessions. So, yes. And people people confess to murders and such that they haven't been a part of all the time. It is so weird yeah. to me. And it, I, I, like you said, with the, with the fake doctor, probably fake, um, at least bad doctor, if nothing else. <laughs> We've had several of those in these cases, yeah. though. Um, it, it could just be attention-seeking in, in many of those cases. Although, when you're on your deathbed, I think you've got enough attention. Damn. Well, I here's the thing. Here's the thing, and this is this is the way I feel about deathbed confessions. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, they're on their deathbed. Why would they lie? Because it's their last chance to grab immortality. Yeah, yeah. Also, probably on a lot of drugs. Yeah. Well, a little bit from column A, a little bit from <laughs> yeah, column B. Yeah, basically. But yeah, if, if I was kind of looking back on my life and go, man, I could have done that true crime podcast, but <laughs> I, I said no to Christy, I would probably say something like, yeah, I fucked an alien. <laughs> <laughs> Just that one last chance. You're right. You, yeah. you might be right about that. Yeah, so I don't, contrary to everything else in society, I do not put a lot of faith in the deathbed confession. Yeah. Because it is the last grab for immortality. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, so I don't have really anything else. I, I, I mean, this was a, a big one, but I, I feel like we managed to kind of pull it off. Get in touch with us, Johnny Eponymous. I want to know how we did. <laughs> I'm really curious. Because all the time I was thinking, oh, I hope he thinks we did at least okay. I know we can't touch, like, there's so much material out there. And like I said, a deep dive is coming. It might be a year or so because I'm going to have to get way deep into those books. Yeah, there is there is a deep dive uh, coming here in probably the next couple of months. Uh, a crime that I had never heard of before. And I only had like three or four lines about this crime. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went, I need to find out more about this. And I've actually ordered the book from Japan <laughs> to bring this crime to America. Um, and I've been watching the movie, no subtitles whatsoever, and trying to pick out words in Japanese. Uh, it's a 1986 film with Ken Watanabe. Uh, based on this, based on this crime, and even though it happened during war, it's still a 
crime. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, definitely. And they have that called war crimes for. A yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely a deep dive that's coming here pretty soon. But yes, if you want us to do a deep dive, and we are definitely going to do a deep dive on this. If you want us to do a deep dive, please hit us up on that Amazon wish list. If you've got a crime that happened pre 1950, hit us up with it. Even if you don't want us to do a deep dive, even if you can't afford, we don't want you giving money to the Patreon or buying us books. If you can't afford it, you take care of yourself first. Oh, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But if you, if you, if you can't afford it and you want to go ahead and buy it, if not, if you just have a suggestion for something, whether it's on our wish list or not, we have taken suggestions these past two weeks and they've been we've worked out wonderfully. Absolutely. We've had a, a fantastic time and, and dived down so many rabbit holes that, that my yard is just pockmarked. The ducks are falling into them. It's it's nuts. It's it's chaos. It's madness. So, yeah, just give us a suggestion. We're happy. And like, we may not do a deep dive, but we'll just do an actual, actual episode on it. And we'll be happy to give you the credit if you so desire. Please. So, please. Um, yeah, because we really like that you guys are listening. Um, we're having such a great time. Uh just real quick, podcast recs. I have one. Uh, Go for it. Chillingworth. 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 It is an uh, investigative, like, episodic podcast, a serial podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is about the, and this is so close to our cutoff, five more years, man, five more years. <laughs> the 1955 murder in Florida of Judge Chillingworth and his wife. Ooh. Um, it is, they actually have surveillance recordings from 1960. You are kidding. I'm not kidding. It's really hard to understand what people are saying, but you get the drift. Um, and it's really, it's really well done. The episode art, oh, I'll show it to you when we got off the air. Oh, and I actually looked at it closely. I was like, oh, no. Oh, that episode art actually hurts me. But yes, this murder was very heinous, and there was a lot of political stuff around it, and it went uh, really unknown who the perpetrators were for years. Um, and also you get to the point where they're talking about the consequences of killing a judge and you get to listen to them dance around, uh, trying not to say chilling effect. I see. <laughs> because it's not the kind of, uh, not the kind of podcast that does puns. So, but yeah, I really, I got really hooked on it. I feel like it, they're not quite done yet. I feel like they need to have an epilogue, uh, because I, I looked up, unless I'm missing an episode, I looked up and there's a little bit more to it, but they ended, uh, in September, I believe of this year. So maybe they're coming along with something more, but oh my gosh, did I ever get hooked on that? Oh man. I will check that out. Oh yeah, yeah. you're going to love it. I, uh, not so much a podcast, but a YouTube channel, that chapter. Okay. Uh, that chapter is, uh, is hosted by a very well-spoken gentleman and it's essentially, sometimes he does like creepy stuff, but more along the lines, it's, it's true crime. And he has done some amazing, absolutely amazing uh, work with true crime. And it's some of it is vintage true crime, but it's more on the modern side of things. Okay. Uh, and there's just been, yeah, too many to mention. I binge-watched that chapter, and he's he's got this thick accent, and it's just, mm. ugh, it's great. <laughs> it's absolutely great. So definitely check out that chapter. Absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's it for us this week. I believe so. All right, so don't forget about our giveaway. Send your creepy stranger stories to oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. We really want to hear them. If you send it by midnight on November 29th, 
you can be entered to win a delightful old-timey crimey sticker that uh, will pretty soon be a collector's item, first edition, only edition, because we're getting our new logo very soon. Quite excited to see what comes out of that. And uh, keep an eye out for that on social media because we'll definitely be showing that off and get, giving you links to the artist who is uh, a hometown girl for me. So, so that... Um, Take a look at our Patreon, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Uh, if you want to be, as we said, if you want to be a gumshoe, a flatfoot, or a private dick, uh, come join us and see what all the, the perks are. We're going to be putting up a, not a video, nope, we didn't, haven't done any of those. We're going to be putting up uh, a little mini episode, kind of, of us reading newspaper snippets from the day uh, of, of newspaper writers trying to be witty and pretty much failing. They failed miserably. Just falling flat on their faces and crushing their their, their noses like a like a coke addict. <laughs> Going and get like a coke addict getting a kiss. Jesus Christ. It's it's bad. It's really bad. Um, I felt so... But we make it good. <laughs> I felt so cringy saying everything. I know, right? But that's part of the delight of it. Um, <laughs> these people thought they were funny and uh, I have they some weren't. news for them. Yeah, and uh, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram. We are old-timey, crimey, everywhere. We're going to be putting up pictures uh, related to this episode, links and such. Um, so, yeah, it should be uh, it should be a very active week on the social media. So, yeah. Um, am I forgetting anything? Plenty more planned. We'll Plenty just put more a... planned. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So much more planned. Yeah, uh, it's 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 a big... Oh, and also, yes, I knew I knew I was forgetting something. If you're not interested in the Patreon, but you would still like to make a small donation, every dollar counts, literally dollar. You can send us a dollar to our PayPal uh, through oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. Just enter in that address at PayPal, and you can send us a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, whatever. Um, send us a little something, and uh, we'll give you a little... One billion dollars! Pinky by mouth. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, just send us a little something, and we will give you a little shout-out on the air, so... So yeah, that's uh, that's it. This has been quite the episode. Wow, thank you, Johnny. This yes, was a fun you. one. Thank you, thank you, Johnny. Uh, thank you for requesting the interview. We had a great time doing that. We can't wait to see uh, how it turns out. I've been loving the magazine too, man. I I, I want to see this come out more often. Oh, it seems like it's so much work. I don't know how they could. Yeah. I mean, look at us. Yeah. Like we're we're on a weekly schedule here, and it's getting a little overwhelming at times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I have proposals to grade, but here I am. <laughs> this is more fun, anyhow. Yeah, it really is. It really is. <laughs> so, so yeah, this has been a really great episode. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Johnny, for the suggestion, and thank you guys so much for for sticking around and, and listening and uh, going along for the William Desmond Taylor the WDT ride with us. Oh, just wait for that deep dive. It's going to be a time. Maybe Scott and I should each. Read separate books and then are you yes like they did <laughs> scholars are you mildly and i swear to god i will punch the hell out of anybody that disagrees with me <laughs> <laughs> that should be fun i'm gonna i'm gonna get a, a mask i'm just gonna wear like a goalie mask no, I, or something <laughs> i think you could probably take me in a fight but <laughs> <laughs> well maybe just punch me right out with no warning i might have a problem <laughs> ow oh god oh no Acting! <laughs> Acting! <laughs> All right, so thank you so much. Uh, we hope you have a fantastic weekend and following week, and then we will talk to you again next week with we don't know what yet. I think we have something, maybe. <laughs> I know you have a couple of cases already researched. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> so maybe one of those. So yeah, um, yeah. And from Old Tommy Crimey, this is Christy and Scott saying bye. See ya. This week, my sources are Tony Fontana on IMDb, the Inceville article on Inceville, I have no idea, Wikimapia, 
uh, Alora Smith on Timeline, the Mary Miles Minter interview on YouTube, Dina DeMambro uh, from Classic Hollywood Bios, Sydney Kirkpatrick from the LA Times, Robert Giroux from the New York Times, uh, excerpts of witness statements found on Silent Era, uh, an article in the LA Examiner, and Bruce Long, the editor of Taylorology. Uh, my sources this week are not that extensive. <laughs> Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Timeline.com, and AllThat'sInteresting.com. I got kind of lost in this one. <laughs> <laughs> He was born William Cunningham Dean Taylor. Uh, on ah. Is there something before his birth, really? <laughs> William.